0: Welcome to Thrive, the podcast. Welcome to Thrive, the podcast, where I'll be talking with guests who've created extraordinary results in business and life through listening to and following through on their intuition in the face of logic, reason, and rationale to demonstrate why your inner navigation is the most important advisor you'll ever meet. No matter what you've been through, faced, feared, or run from, Thrive is here to uplift you and give you the courage and fortitude to face your future even when you don't feel fearless. I'm your host, Elizabeth Adams. Throughout my 20s and some of my 30s, I operated from a place of workaholism believing that when I reached success, all would be well in my world. Coming home to myself was a journey that began with a series of synchronicities that led me to learning how to tap my intuition and ultimately gave me the tools to live a far more rewarding life. Since then, I've been helping my clients to thrive. No matter what you're up against, grief, depression, unfavorable circumstances of any kind, are only ever a starting point on the way to realizing the life you were born to live the power really is within you and my intention with this podcast is to enable you to unlock it in this episode mahir patel my guest shares his experience of growing up being dominated by women suppressing his masculine leadership the turmoil of abusive sexual intimacy after going through a mental health crisis, shame, alcoholism, anxiety, depression, and religious conditioning, to being ready to call it a day on life and how this moment led him to finding his intuition, resiliency, and ultimately choosing to thrive in life welcome to thrive the podcast
1: thank you
0: i've known you for a little while but not really well we met a number of years ago now and what i love about you and what i loved about you then was just your presence you have a beautiful and very magnificent energy um and so i'm thrilled to have you here And also, I just wanted to share with listeners on this podcast a little about what you've learned and what you've created through using your intuition. You know, how, where were you at in life before embracing intuition as a way of intentionally creating? And what has the choice of using your intuition to intentionally create resulted in for you?
1: I will do my best to be as open and uh, vulnerable as possible. Um, yeah, it's it's been quite the journey is following your inner guidance, following your intuition is, hasn't been the easiest journeys for me, uh, but it's been the one that's been the most worth it because I kind of realized you know, I had to come back to myself. Uh, it's always been a journey about coming back to yourself more than anything. So, um, so yeah, uh, I'm I'm looking forward to this conversation. And I know we've talked about a little bit the other day, kind of candidly when we caught up, but um, I'm happy to kind of, you know, go through things again and just, yeah, speak from the perspective of intuition, inner guidance, being self-referential, being sovereign um so i'm really looking forward to this conversation
0: Mm. so recently you ran um a workshop i believe it was a three-day workshop with your team on sexual self-mastery it's an unusual topic but it's i loved it like when i saw that you were putting that out i listened into the the short call that you'd all had. I think you did um one hour call, and yeah. it was electrifying <laughs> I'm so to hear that yeah, it, I loved hearing everyone's experience and just the way the conversation opened up to allow us, the listeners to um ask those questions of ourselves and our own experience so you know what is what is sexual self-mastery how did how did that come about
1: (laughs) it's a great question so it's kind of interesting because it was it was actually a weekend thing so it was a two-day workshop and then that we did the uh being the pace car sexual self-mastery the previous week. That's the one that you were able to kind of just clock in on. Um and yeah, it was it's been quite the journey to kind of get to a place because I work with a gentleman named Mark DeFranco. He's my coach, mentor, business partner, and he founded uh Creative Self-Mastery. And I've kind of joined him on that journey of establishing it in fleshing out the teachings and actually teaching the stuff. I'm kind of one of his first students, first apprentices. Um, and yeah, we've kind of like, we, you know, in our own personal sort of my private uh, relationship with him as a, as a client and and him being my coach, uh, we've kind of, I've discussed every aspect of my life with him and it's kind of been interesting uh, because I, he's made it very, very comfortable, you know, to, you know, talking to him about it. Like I've never felt, I've never felt like threatened by telling him the things that I'm sharing about my deepest, darkest secrets, where our mind has been, you know, some of the stuff that I've done and, you know, yeah, he's made it very comfortable for me as, and he's, you know, it's unusual but I think it just makes so much sense because he's, you know, he's he's a gay man and he's you know, he's a married gay man. And, you know, if you asked me like 10 years ago, would I would I would I have this type of relationship with a man who's you know homosexual, but he's like very masculine. Um, he's not a typical, sort of stereotypical sort of uh gay person that I was used to knowing. Um, that was someone that was quite effeminate and not really masculine at all, to be honest, but Mark actually quite frankly is one of the most masculine men I've ever met. And it was that sort of masculine leadership that was quite powerful, but felt very safe for me to actually discuss things about my sexuality, as well as every other aspect of my life. And it's been kind of interesting journey for just, you know, me and him and I, but also our team that we've been building kind of, we kind of go you know, I implore anyone if that if they ever have the opportunity to work with Mark, they actually explore that conversation with him or any of us coaches. He's kind of trained us to be very comfortable having any type of conversation, no matter how sensitive it might be. Um, if someone has a bit of a traumatic relationship with the topic, say like sex can be, you know, we, we're we quite equipped to handle it. So, but like for me, it's been, it's been it's been kind of interesting because in the last sort of couple of years, you know, one of the biggest challenges that I've had, and, you know, Mark is quite happy pointed it out to me that, um, you know, in the conversations I've had is, and even through my own experiences, is that my relationship to women, uh, the feminine, it's been a, you know, a challenging one, not that I hate them or anything like that. It's kind of like I swing back and forth because I'm in a, I'm in a pendulum swing between, you know, feeling amazing with them, depending, you know, who they are. And then the next minute, you know, I'm having an experience where I'm, you know, despised by them. And it was, it was very sort of confronting to realize that, you know, I was creating that entire experience. um, And it went all the way, you know, from a relationship level right down to an intimacy sort of se- sexual level. And it's been kind of, we've been having these conversations, you know, him and I, and then, the, and the team and then Mark w- made it very sort of obvious that we need to, um, we need to make this into an actual workshop. And he's like, I'm going to do it whether you're, whether you're, whether you're coming or not, I'm going to do it. But we couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't say no because I felt, I felt the power in it. And I felt, you know, I've done a lot to kind of make sort of make myself whole around the feminine, uh, and my relationship woman, I know it's kind of like my cross to bear, like I know I'm always gonna have my challenges around it, but I'm choosing not to give in to like you know the thoughts and feelings, the egoic sort of um narratives that I have around you know having a bit of an adversarial dynamic um it's you know me against them or them against me or they're threatening any shape or form because that's kind of where my wounding was where I was raised by a very dominant grandmother, and my mom was. Wasn't able to because um, my grandma even dominated her. So she didn't allow me to, she didn't allow her to raise me either. So I had a very possessive and dominant grandmother. And that's the type of woman I I found myself dating. Um, weirdly enough, uh, most people would say, how is a quite masculine man who doesn't seem that submissive um, end up in relationships with quite dominant women? But I found out over the years, uh, you know, through the work, you know, through my conversations with Mark that, um, you know, when I feel extremely vulnerable uh, emotionally um, um, and I don't feel very powerful, it's my path of least resistance is to seek out quite a domineering female, a woman who's in herself quite established, has the resources um, because I don't feel very safe. I feel very vulnerable doing that. And that's kind of how, the setup was when I was growing up Mm -hmm. so that's kind of how I would enter those relationships but not you know not it's all unconscious at the time uh, but Mm -hmm. not realizing that I was making certain agreements um, unconsciously around how they were supposed to treat me and how I was supposed to treat them there was a bit of people pleasing on my part there was a bit of a you know, strong codependency as well as sort of dominant, submissive sort of dynamic, but a strong codependency, codependent dynamic. And also, you know, any, if you're, if you you know, if you're in a relationship with anyone that's quite possessive, um, you, your, your truth, your own purpose kind of gets gagged. It kind of gets denied, but it's by design. You know, I can't, I don't want to blame the other person for that or the woman for that. It's just, it's my own dysfunction kind of just, you know playing itself out it's it, it becomes the perfect excuse for me to not step into my power and that's yes. kind of been, so. So
0: like the invitation it's the invitation of leaning into that right yeah and absolutely I don't see that when we're in the thick of it that it's an invitation for our growth and development
1: yeah absolutely so um yeah i was invited a couple of times through various par- partnerships with women and it was the last one that kind of it was either I was gonna get it then or not. I was doomed to kind of repeat the experience again. So, you know, the relationship started off well and then lockdown hit, um, we were living together and then the relationship turned uh, quite destructive. It turned quite abusive. I didn't even know that it, that was that. Was what was what was happening. You know, it was emotional abuse, verbal abuse and it got a little bit physical um, on her part. And it was, I didn't realize what was happening, you know, you know you know I, I was speaking to mark about it and he says yeah you, you know you she's an abusive person and i was like okay cool that that's who she is but then you know it kept kind of happening and and it only kept happening because i wasn't in my power around it um and i wasn't you know establishing strong agreements nor was i upholding them mm. and because for my need for safety because i had compromised my integrity completely because my need for safety was bigger than my need to establish boundaries and be powerful and lead and all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. so um but it was one conversation we had, we had a couple of dysfunction episodes with my then ex-partner and then you know I was in I was in a coaching session with Mark and he said clearly it wasn't registering for me but he says dude you're a victim of abuse and I was like huh? I was like I'm a victim of abuse and that's kind of when you know, it was a bit of a house of cards when I realized, holy shit, like, this is this is what I'm inviting in, and it was very evident that, you know, I was either going to learn my lesson now, otherwise, if I didn't, the next time, there could be a lot more at stake, luckily, we were in a rented accommodation, we didn't have shared resources, like a mortgage, we didn't have any children, or anything like that, but next time, if I wasn't going to learn what I need to learn, that sort of stuff could have been involved, and it would have been a lot more messier, and it would have it would have just reinforced the story around how powerless I am around, you know, my relationships with women um, and just powerless in general, in terms of my overall agency in life.
0: Sounds like a really beautiful clearing for you to now see all of that so that you can intentionally create the life, the lover, the family, the leadership that's gone to really, um, what would be the word will fulfill you actually.
1: Yeah. Yeah, totally. It's, and it was, <laughs> it was interesting because, because you asked about the sexual self mastery workshop, how did we get there? And it's, I think it's always been on the cards. It's just that create self mastery as a company, as a team was, 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 I think it was, it's coming to a place, which is, just, it, the, the structures are amazing. They're strong. The leadership is powerful from, my standpoint from mark's standpoint from my other colleagues stanley's and then we got four um amazing powerful women leaders on the team as well um all kind of versed in the work and you know we were like okay we're gonna we're gonna do this workshop it's nothing's different from what we usually do we're just applying the premises to this aspect of our life that happens to be our sex life which we've done in private we're just going to do a workshop around it but what was really powerful and the weekend that we did because we didn't have a lot of attendees and I, we didn't really care much because we wanted to have this as an evergreen type of experience. So we have a self-paced version that we can share with people in preparation for a live immersive experience that we're doing in London in the spring of 2024. But um, um it was, you know, we became facilitators and participants in the actual workshop, Mark kind of just didn't tell us that, but it was kind of bit of a bit of an unexpectedness, and but it it worked out beautifully, and I made a very conscious choice going in. It was very obvious to me that most most aspects of my life they were out on the table. Like if you need if you needed the roadmap to destroy me in terms of my dysfunction, my history, most people had it. Like and it and it felt it can be scary when you're not that forthcoming. But, and look, certain things are meant to stay private. It's not, you know, I'm not asking anyone to kind of blur everything out. You've got to feel, you've got to be very much in your power to share what's true for you to share, but, you know, everything was, my, my cards were pretty much laid out with, you know, especially with Mark and the team, they're pretty much knew everything about me, which is amazing in itself. But my sex life was the one area where I, where I had a lot of, you know, strong values and narratives and. I would say a little bit of shame as well, being a man, I'm not, you know, I haven't had, you know, crazy amount of sexual partners. Every, every sexual partner I've had has actually been uh, a girlfriend who I've been in a monogamous committed long-term relationship with all of this stuff. And, you know, and that, that's, that's, I've had three sexual partners in my entire life and, you know, I, I'm assuming, you know, I was making assumptions where like, you know, I have to, I have to, to present a certain way and people have this idea of me. Um, but I kind of realized that didn't serve me at all. And I kind of realized it's, it's a lot of, it's completely inauthentic and it's a lot of weight to carry, you know, it feels completely like misaligned with who I actually am, but you know, Mark knew about it and a few people in my life knew about it, but to kind of share it with the rest of the team fully um that's I took the workshop to actually do have an opportunity to actually share fully about where I was at where I've been um who I am now what I'm working to create next in terms of my sex life you know I you know if I'm 38 now um I even told them on the call um because Mark just asked you know randomly he kind of like switched it up a little bit as a as a good as a good leader does to keep us on our toes um uh, he asked everyone when did everyone lose their virginity and um i was i was the last one out of the team uh i lost my virginity literally what we 20, 2023 now 10 years ago right so i lost my virginity at 27 um and it was i already made a decision that i was going to share at some point but mark asked the question and it was You know, after that, I shared that and that was like, nothing happened. I didn't feel like the team judged me or saw me any different or respected me less. You know, all of this sort of um, Mm -hmm. bullshit that was in my head kind of was completely, you know, blown out of the water. Mm -hmm. Um, It was completely like just the the, the creative tension actually resolved powerfully rather than, you know, um, creating more psychological tension for me. Uh, actually I felt you know very loved and held in that space and I continued to feel that way over the course of the entire workshop then I went on to kind of identify it was one of the last parts in the workshop and you know one of the premises also sort of one of of the teaching the premises that we were kind of identifying within the sexual self-mastery is that there's an experience that we can have in the bedroom that can actually you know, if it's a fantasy or a desire, we can, we can construct it in a really powerful way. We can set the pace. We can be a leader there. It can be, we can act it out and experience it. So it can release us from a dysfunctional experience in everyday life. Mm -hmm. So if we take into account, you know, I was going for, um, you know, at my weakest, emotionally most vulnerable, I was going for very dominant, sort of possessive women, because that's what equated to safety. And then we did like a, like an intuitive exercise right at the end where Mark asked, okay, what are we denying ourselves sexually? And as I tuned in, it was very clear to me is like, as I identify as a, you know, typical masculine man, no problem with leadership, taking the lead, whatever, setting the pace for the most part, but from a from a from a sexual standpoint, one of my a deep desire was to actually completely submit to the feminine, right? And I could actually recreate that experience if I wanted to, uh, as a creative endeavor, uh, within the bedroom. And I kind of when I tuned in, the the specifics I got was, I was like, you know, a dominatrix. So a mm-hmm. dominatrix, yeah, mm-hmm. and and then you know she would be obviously there was a little a little bit of physical pain. And then with that physical pain, she, after that, she soothes it. So she would maybe put cream on it or whatever like that. And it was super, like I was getting super specific. So she soothes me, but then also the soothing goes even further where I actually, you would be sucking on her breasts and being fed. So it was, I took, I took myself through the entire, and I, I shared it with everyone there. Mm-hmm. Um, You know, I would have never even dreamed of sharing that stuff Uh, as, you know, presenting the kind of image I, I think i'm presenting into the world and i kind of just laid it out and and that for me was i realized why we're doing this workshop why we're doing sexual self mastery, why we're doing an in-person thing it was kind of like the last for me it was the last bit of the puzzle uh in terms of the level of vulnerability i was bringing to the table but i also gained from an energetic and a vibrational perspective i also gained that submission with my with the women leaders in our team right because they knew everything about me and they didn't kind of you know uh, judge me or feel you know try to emasculate me or you know energetically castrate me or any shape or form because that's one of my biggest fears um Mm -hmm. you know that's the thing i'm trying to avoid the most but that didn't happen and actually you know we became even closer as a team um so yeah so I hope that answers your question
0: yeah well it it definitely you know i guess what i get from that is anyone who's at that cusp you know because you can be very powerful and successful in the world i think you even mentioned this but in your home life in your private life there's an emptiness or there's a driving force that um where you feel completely unfulfilled and disconnected, and this is a way of bringing into the into the into the space the wholeness of ourselves. Right, it's a way of connecting to all aspects of ourselves, not just um, having a professional face or high achiever or dominant persona in the world and having nothing at home. So that's the one thing, but I'd like to go a little bit further back as to how you ended up here doing this type of work because this was not what you started out doing in the world, is it? And there's a whole, you know, there's a whole hero's journey there essentially of your your experience. And I'd love, I'd love for you to share that.
1: Mm. Oh, absolutely. Um, what I would with so when we were having when we were catching up the other day. So I think the best bet is from the beginning, as they say. Um, so oh, if anyone's not familiar with the hero's journey, part of it is, you know that you're, maybe there's some greatness within you and then you get the call, right? You get a call to 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 answer and to live your greatness. Um, let's just say that I didn't pick up the phone a couple of times. <laughs> um so um uh, in you know we're talking we're talking 10 years it's I would say it spans the last 15 to 20 years right so I I knew from a very early age that I, the conventional life they didn't seem to sit right with me um you know getting a job getting a house getting married um it just I I saw the value in it but I just felt so disconnected from it for the most part of my life and um and I remember going through school and going through education higher education and then eventually work that I was just like something just doesn't you know I nothing I couldn't I couldn't put my finger on what what it was like why was I disconnected like I'm going through the motions but I can't You know, I can't seem to like just target, like, what is it? What is, what am I here to do? And I guess that was the phone ringing all that time, but I didn't, I didn't dare ask the questions because of, you know, the fear that I carried for most of my life. And it, you know, in the extreme cases, the fear was so extreme. I got myself into situations where I was experiencing that fear. Like I did with my previous relationships. With, with 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 ex-partners but i remember like i got into university i i essentially failed and then i had the opportunity to kind of retake stuff but that wouldn't mean i got a degree i'd get a diploma at best and i kind of got you know i got really annoyed i was like what's the point so i dropped out of university and then and then shortly after I just entered full-time work, uh, you know, I was into computers and stuff. I still am type of thing, but you know, I never thought I'd make a career out of it, but, uh, I was in, it was an enthusiastic sort of area of my life. So I got an IT job, um, at the time. And we're talking, so I quit uni in 20, 2007. Um, and then I entered sort of full-time work in 2008 and, and it was a really low paying job is really entry level. I mean, I don't know how anyone could live off the va- wage. It was like, all you were getting paid was like 16K a year. And I had to supplement that work with working on the weekends at the supermarket. Plus I had, you know, I want to live a certain lifestyle. Um, and I don't want to feel like I'm falling behind my friends, you know, falling behind the conventions, all of that sort of stuff. So all of these things are happening. Obviously, I'm completely unconscious to it. And I remember, so I'd been working part-time, you know, in Sainsbury's um, to supplement the income to the full-time job. I'd been working in Sainsbury's prior to that for seven years at that point. And then I, one thing that I was always doing, and I didn't realize how detrimental it was at the time, is that I was, I was drinking, I was drinking quite a bit. And every it was binge drinking essentially, and every time there was a there was an opportunity to have a good time, I would make sure that I would have the best time with the copious amounts of alcohol. And I used to be like the um, the ringleader for drinking. Uh, I was known as the party starter and all that sort. I still kind of am, but I can do it without the booze. Um, that I've come full circle there too. But um, but it was you know, I, I I create a very strong identity uh, around being the guy who gets the party started, the guy who loved drinking, loved to get everyone else drunk. Um, you know, I turned into a person that I felt I couldn't be when I was sober. So that was kind of like most weekends uh, throughout my sort of early, mid, early, early to mid 20s. And then I'd been at my full-time job for about two years um, and I'd been working, you know, 50, 60 hour weeks uh, with no days off. And I got a little bit fed up. So I, at the time I'd hurt my back and um, I was able, I was signed off sick from the, from the doctor from Sainsbury's. Cause I did I just wanted my weekends free. I didn't mind my full-time job. Like it was an office job. I could just sit there and it's pretty relaxed. Um, it wasn't really stressful, but I remember I wanted to, I wanted to have a little bit extra time off. So I decided to forge the doctor's note and I submitted it and I ended up getting caught. Um, and I remember getting, you know, the HR department, I went went to work, the HR department called me in and they said, Oh yeah, we need to talk about this. And obviously I denied the whole thing. Um, (laughs) and, it was very obvious that I was probably gonna get dismissed because it would mean it's essentially gross misconduct because it's you know you're know, forging stuff. So it's, it's a it's you know it's fraudulent stuff. So um getting caught, I didn't realize what would happen after. I was very unconscious to it, but I just decided to leave. It's like, nah, you're not gonna fire me, I'm gonna leave. Okay, so I left, not realizing that I felt so ashamed because I had fucked up university and then I fucked up the one job, even though it was Sainsbury's, I loved working there and I'd worked there for seven years. Like I put, you know, I, I dedicated myself something to seven years and this is how I ended it. But I didn't know that, that this was happening. Like I kind of took it for granted. And I was like, um, I, didn't, I didn't leave with the bank i i left through the back door mm-hmm. um essentially and it wasn't you know that kind of compounded where i was at and it just i started i I think i'm pretty sure i just started drinking more and i was just basically living for the weekend and then i remember um you know i was able to kind of get a new job and you know that kind of helped the income situation a little bit but um so that I was working outside of London at the time. This is about twenty ten, and then I was able to move into a city job, which is something I always wanted to do because all my friends were in like the city, working in the city. So I wanted to be around them, be able to drink with them on a Friday night, Thursday night. That's the thing to do in the city. Um, and and that was like late twenty ten. Christmas was fine. Drank my way through Christmas. every a great time. New Year's came, and that was probably the beginning of the end um, because I had ignored what was deep within my, the pain that I was in. I didn't realize and it decided I was unraveling. I started to unravel a little bit. Uh, literally the the day, New Year's day, I started getting crazy anxiety. Um, and I wouldn't call it, I I don't, I don't think I went into panic attack level, but I felt paranoid. I felt really sort of, uneasy, I felt really unstable, and I couldn't, I couldn't orient myself. And that and I, I, I didn't realize at the time, but I was losing my grip on reality slowly, but surely I was losing orientation, uh, I'm losing control. And the way I kind of resolved that psychological tension, you know, let alone existential tension was uh, to drink even more, so my alcohol consumption went up because the only time I, the anxiety was kind of, I was able to cut through the anxiety was actually, you know, drink because alcohol is a depressant. So it took the edge off because I was feeling on edge all the time. And mm-hmm. my mind was just going crazy. Um, I felt I was losing my marbles for the most part. Um, and, and because I was losing for orientation and I had no relationship to inner guidance or my intuition, I'm looking outside of me for answers.
0: -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm.
1: And I'm looking outside of me for answers in terms of how do I get orientation? Am I thinking? You know, I I basically I had a form of OCD, they would call it. It's called pure OCD, which is you have ruminations. Um, and you just think about the thing that you thought. So you had an intrusive thought, and you're like, shit, how did I get to an intrusive thought? Everybody has them, but if you're in a compromised state of consciousness you're going to take it very personally and you're going to make it mean something about you. Mm-hmm. Right. And I started to make it mean that, you know, I started having thoughts around my sexuality, around homosexuality, around sexual violence, all of these kind of things. And I was, I was completely freaked out by my, what was going on in my head. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I was on edge all the time and hence why drinking kind of helped me. Well, I say helped me, but it kind of took the took the edge off completely. Um, but at the time you know I, my self-loathing went through the roof and in extreme cases the, I, the idea of just ending it all and killing myself and suicide was like prevalent throughout the entire sort of period I was in that mm. um, and that lasted about over a year so we're talking at the beginning of 2011 all the way to like the crescendo was the April of 2012 so I started you know I started to get better towards the end of 2011. When I say better, I mean, the anxiety started to, you know, reduce, but the depression, you know, when you have an extreme case of anxiety, so most people will know, they talk about manic depression. So you have mania where you're like full of energy and anxiousness. And then like, when that kind of wears off, you enter to a deep depression. So mm-hmm. I always kind of have a little bit of that where I would hit like bouts of depression, but it's so, you don't realize you're in a depressive state and yeah. it, you're, you're you you know and i'm continuing to drink and all this kind of stuff and alcohol is kind of just further exacerbating the depressive state because my alcohol is a depressant and throughout that time so one of my biggest sort of preoccupations is a fear of external forces and hence why the relationship of being I'm either swinging between wanting to be dominated or being feared or being dominated. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, by, by taken out essentially. Yeah. Right. And it, you know, with my parents, with, with religion, with God, with the devil, uh, all of this kind of stuff, even though I'm not a Christian, you know, even that's in my narrative, in my psyche, Um, you know, there's, you know, there's a, there's a wrathful God, there's, there's a hell, all of this kind of stuff was, it was it was all happening in my head. Every, every, every structure I had around reality, about life, around um how things are were crumbling. Like everything was crumbling. And I I was like, I was trying to make sense of it all because for every sort of you know, for someone kind of like, you know, again, external forces. So one authority saying one thing and another perceived authority saying another, then you're like, okay, what's the truth here? So mm-hmm. this is, and, I, and that was creating tremendous amount of inner conflict within me because I didn't know how to look within and I didn't even think it was an option, mm-hmm. right, to be self-referential, to have, I didn't even know that intuition wasn't even a fucking thing at that point, <laughs> right, yeah. Um, you know, completely like, you know, we're we, we almost, from the moment we're born, we're kind of domesticated mm. uh, into thinking that we don't have the power and our own inner guidance is literally just some um mystic hooey for the most part uh so it got pretty you know i i was able to take care of most of the anxiety and i was sharing with you last time that it became you know the depression started to, you know to settle in but i wasn't aware of it and then i remember one afternoon i was i was having one of those episodes feeling a little bit uncomfortable so i'll go google some question I would have around religion and will am I going to hell? And how do I, you know, absolve my sins and all this is that this is how much I felt that I'd done something wrong just by because I thought certain things. Right. Yeah. I hadn't even acted anything out. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But I'm looking outside of me, it's like, okay, I need certainty that I'm not gonna get fucked up in, in the afterlife, or like I'm walking down the street and something fall out of the sky and drop me, drop something on my head and I'm dead. But that's that's literally the levels that, that where where my mind would go. And then obviously. I couldn't find the answer because there's never, you know, the way our psyche works is it's, you know, if you're in survival mode, it's looking ways to doubt reality. So my mind got very good at doubting everything. I'm, you know, essentially I'm a quiet egoically. I'm, my ego is based around fear. So I'm a very fear-based type of person. Um, and I got so frustrated with not finding the answers. I was like, what do I usually do when I get frustrated? I'm going to go for a drink. And then I remember it was like midweek in April, early April of 2012. And I was working in Soho at the time in London. And there's plenty of places to drink just at your doorstep there. Um, and the guy, the person I used to work with then, he was he was quite a big drinker. He was always into drinking as well. I think he had a problem too. And he kind of revealed a little bit later, a few years down the line, that he had a problem. Um but I remember we went for a, you know, we went for a drink, and then like, I was about two pints in, and I remember like just wanting to give up completely. I'd been fighting the urge to give up, to give in, you know, basically to commit suicide. Um, and I remember there was a voice. That the voice was always there. It, some days it was loud. Some days it was low. Sometimes it was I couldn't hear nothing. But the voice was always saying, you know, just to end it all the time. But this time, whilst I was steaming drunk, I was just... It was just saying, okay, today's the day, right? Yeah. And I'd been in this situation before whilst I was pissed out of my head. But i have been able to be like, nah, I ain't doing it. But this time, I was like, yeah, I don't have it in me. Um, I think today's the day. I was like, fucking hell. I was like, and I couldn't fight it. Like, emotionally, I couldn't fight it anymore. The fight had gone. So I walked... I was like... I told the guys... I didn't even want to say anything at the time. So no one knew how much emotional pain i was in no one had any idea i hadn't told anyone at the time um no one had any clue Um,
0: It's hard to talk about isn't it
1: yeah totally and this is exactly look our, our intuition would would usually guide us in even saying okay get help but if we don't know um how to listen to that and if we don't know that you know if you if our relationship to getting support is <clears throat> means equates to you know oh yeah you're you're weak or you're don't know what you're doing and even now like we only now the narratives around mental health is getting better even then it's still like you know it, i wouldn't call it taboo per se back then it felt very taboo to talk about mental health mm-hmm. but now it's getting better but even then i don't think there's an empowered perspective um i think it's a little bit disempowering uh, and there's not enough structures in place to actually get people out into a really functional place and get them completely reliant on self-reference and intuition. Yeah. So, but that's a different conversation. So, I remember I'm walking. I, I I left I left the pub. I'm walking to Tottenham Court Road station, and um, and I could feel like the one that that the ideation was, you know, the fantasy always was was to jump in front of a train because I was working in the city, you know, at the time. Uh, that was the predominant one. And I remember it was a westbound uh, Central Line train. I was standing, you know, at the edge of the platform. I hear the train coming. Um, it's about seven, eight in the evening, and and I could feel I was going to do it. And then all of a sudden the train comes, and I hear this voice in my head that just says, "It was it was so loud, it was like someone was shouting at me." And all it said it was, "Here, get on the fucking train and go the fuck home." And I was in that moment, like I, I, I could feel that I had alcohol in my body, but there was a level of soberness that I experienced in that moment. It was, it was bizarre, and I was like, eh? and it snapped me out of the days. Um, and I got on that train. I don't remember the journey home because it ordered, ordered also included one bus ride. I don't remember any of that stuff. Um, and I just remember being in my bed, lying in bed, saying, "Oh shit, I really was gonna kill myself, uh, but I didn't do it." And I thought I was going to have a massive panic attack and all this kind of stuff. Like, oh my God, I can't believe I almost considered it. None of that happened. There was a bit of this weird calm that settled over me. And then I woke up the next day. Um, and I, it was obvious. I was like, okay, i got to stop drinking like this, this, this can't happen again. I had it. I had enough in just enough agency to be okay. We need to change some stuff. And the next two weeks, because I came off the booze, all the demons that I kept at bay with the drinking decided to rear their heads. Every I had to face the narratives of how, how much, you know, hatred I had towards my upbringing, to my parents, to everyone, and just being so angry. All of that just came out. I felt, like, you know, I that felt like I was going really insane. But I was able to ride it out. And then eventually it became obvious that you know after drinking I, I it serves me to prioritize my well-being and that's kind of where my guidance kind of took me and I signed up to at the beginning of the year with my one of my best friends we signed up to the British 10k for summer because we wanted to focus on just being good but he had no idea I was going for any of this and then two weeks I think it was the beginning of May so two weeks after the whole train episode you know you kind of reached out um synchronously he said dude let's let's start training and I was like okay and we started training and it was very interesting because the moment I shifted my focus to focusing on well-being and being in my I was able to stand firmer in my power and conviction like look I'm not going down that path I I go I'm not it's I still got stuff to face but it just doesn't serve me and I also kind of realized that nothing happened no external force came i wasn't taken out and i was like and i'm and i was kind of sick and tired of being sick and tired and i said to myself i'm not going to if 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 i if it means i've stepped a foot wrong and i'm going to get destroyed for it so be it this is the kind of stuff i needed to kind of just do uh this is where i felt i was guided to kind of go with my emotions and use my thoughts and feelings to my advantage rather than mm-hmm. my detriment um, mm-hmm. uh, and then I shifted this focus, completely changed the structure from drinking and self-loathing to well-being and prioritizing well-being and health. And literally within weeks, my psychology started to improve. Whatever doubt started enter my mind, you know, I could hear the voice of my intuition just be like, nah, that's bullshit. That's bullshit. You know you're stronger than this. All this kind of stuff started to the psyche started to get stronger. Uh, the functional psycho- psychology started to get stronger. And, you know, by the end of 2012, I, I was, you know, I, I was in the best mental space of my life. I was in the best uh, health, best fitness. Um, I'd lost a ton of weight in a functional way. Um, You know, I, and I didn't feel owned. I was setting my own narratives. I had this level of, um, power that I'd never experienced before and you know I felt very empowered going into 2013 but I still had some lessons to learn so that was one sort of hero's journey over and then another one started when it became because I, I think alcohol is like the fem, in, in, it, it, it's a feminine aspect right Um, and that's why they call it uh no it has because that's why it, it reduces your inhibitions right and like a, a, a beautiful woman can disarm a man a very sort of angry man alcohol has a similar similar type of energy that's how I've come to identify with it um certain certain schools of thought think that and it was and that was in that that was in that realm right in just using alcohol and whatever and then the second part was actually with women in the physical when I got I, I got into a relationship it was a relationship I actually lost my virginity in mm. um and that was the the next part of my journey and then i went through a couple of renditions between 2013 that relationship was intense ended all of a sudden abruptly i was you know in bits about that but i didn't go into full full full-on self-loathing i was able to kind of learn from that and uh, you know get my agency back and also kind of learn just how to relate a little bit more powerfully but i still didn't know i was giving my power away uh, in those relationships, because I had this deep-seated need to just feel safe and, um, you know, mothered essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there was a few relationships, um, you know. But just before my last one, there was one there as well. And I also went back into. I went retro. I did actually go retrograde because what I'd realized is when you don't answer the call, right? You you enter a state of powerlessness. Right, Because either your fear or something, uh, there's a really strong narrative uh, that, you, that you have, a story that you have that says it's too dangerous to answer the call. So you're not going to do it. Right. And if you keep that up in, in and you keep that state of powerlessness up, it becomes a form of long term powerlessness. And
0: just to clarify, that's the call of your intuition, right? The call of your heart not Absolutely. the core of the suicidal no things. exactly yeah. exactly
1: yes no no thank you for saying that so i you know the powerlessness was it was still prevalent in my psyche it's one of my probably one of my major core beliefs uh along with like worth and trust and stuff but um powerlessness is you know in my in my relationship to my own anger powerlessness is where it plays out and when you, if you, if you systematically deny the call and you enter a long-term state of powerlessness, that's what becomes depression. Right. Mm -hmm. And I, I hadn't learned the structure of that. And I learned that in a relationship that I entered, uh, between 2016, just as I started my journey with, um, natural success.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Right. So I entered another hero's journey, but because I was entering the unknown again, I, I decided I made the choice very, very unconsciously to partner up with a dominant woman because I was entering a part, you know, or because I'd given up alcohol at that point. So I haven't drunk in 10 years officially. Well, in January would be 10 years. I try it every now and then, but I don't have a full drink. But, um, but I kind of realized that I still had an addiction to having that need met around mm. safety and... Yeah. I hadn't fully stepped into my power. I didn't want to, I didn't realize at the time, but Mark, when I started working with Mark, became very apparent. So, so I remember I entered a relationship as I started this work with natural success and actually learning about intuition as a way of experiencing agency. And because I knew I wanted to be a coach, um, I was like, this is one of the most powerful ways that we can actually serve people that want to work with us, you know, get them back to, you know, themselves and using their own inner guidance. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I didn't realize that because it's uncharted for me. I found a dominant, quite a dominant female. I ended up dating her for two years by the best. Um, just in, in this case, I didn't have alcohol and I had to I had to kind of learn again, how to build my psyche back up because I'd systematically gave my power away and I didn't follow my guidance. It was overrided by my need for safety again in that relationship and to preserve the relationship and to abdicate my power abdicate my truth um, in any shape or form. Um, and then I had to learn the hard way in that relationship ended and I thought I'd learned my lessons. Um, because at that time, I also started to work with Mark simultaneously that um, I just started that journey with Mark but. It turns out I hadn't, and then I entered the relationship I was in last, literally not even a year later after I broke up. Um, I was going, um, I left full-time work again, entering the unknown again. So structurally, I was repeating the same fucking band. Yeah. And then last time, what kind of like, just laid the gauntlet down, he's like, dude, you better learn this, or you're doomed to experience this. We repeat this for the rest of your life. And then that's mm-hmm. kind of how I got to where I am now about what I said at the beginning of this conversation.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And so if people want to reach you, how can they connect and what can they anticipate as a way of working with you? Ooh.
1: So if you want to reach me, you can find me on all major social media platforms. Look for my name on Instagram. I'm here, Dr. You'll know who I am because I have a blue tick next to my name. Um, and But if you want to, you know, converse with me directly, you can email me at mihe at pantheos.co.uk. Pantheos is Papa Alpha November, Tango Hotel, Echo Oscar Sierra, UK. Um, Or you can go to create mastery.com, and then you can meet um, me and the entire team and you can find, you know, you contact us there. Or you can actually email me on... Um, here at we actually sorted out our emails the other day um so that's how you can get in touch with me uh what i will say in what to expect is i have a i have a pretty much a no-nonsense zero bs approach but but i say this is i I like to think I create an environment where that level of a directness is not something that the client can't handle. Um, you know, I can turn up the heat if I need to. Um, but I also know that I, I have a, you know, a healthy dose of softness that I can you know pull out parts of somebody that they're, you know, really afraid to bring out. Yeah. And also like, I really, you know, I love my clients. I actually tell them, I was like, "Look, if you're working with me, it it is a big commitment in terms of the energy." Uh, one thing I do say to them is, "We're we're getting married. This is a marriage now. Uh, this is the this is what I'm bringing to the table, and this is what I expect from you." And not everyone's ready for that, and I completely respect that. I don't, I don't, I don't judge anyone for not being there. But um, you know, I pride myself on being very efficient so if you have challenges i i get to the bottom of them i do my best to get to the bottom very quickly very efficiently um and i'm able to see things from a structural standpoint that's kind of what i've been trained to do uh so i can understand how your matrix is actually working and then pinpoint how you're fucking yourself up essentially but Mm also you know because I'm create self mastery is about you know mastering yourself in terms of your emotional body and your thoughts and feelings so that the creating aspect the creative aspect becomes a lot more easier, and creating things you know having a creative outlook and wanting to create things doesn't just stop at just material things it's about how do we create ourselves as yeah. a person yeah and who do we want to be and what kind of how actually using um identity as a conscious tool for better creation uh and you know creating everything like relationships to health um you know money sex of course um and also kind of, you know business you name it like you know it, it, if it's structural we have a structural boat so how you do anything is how you do everything and we are and i do my best to kind of identify how you're doing something right now and why it's kind of Thought in your progress um and then i can start doing things differently and meanwhile i also that allows us to get you very comfortable and actually depending on your inner guidance because if your thoughts and meanings like my were like my fear was so prevalent and my need for safety was so prevalent you're going to ignore the guidance that you're getting mm-hmm. um so i spend a, a, a good amount of time actually doing away with the dysfunctional relationship to our emotions, our thoughts and feelings so that the inner guidance, the intuition can actually naturally have, you know, be the louder voice. Yeah. Um, So that's kind of, that's kind of how I work. It's how we work at CSM, so. Thank you. Thank you.
0: So good to hear everything that you've traveled through and journeyed through because I imagine that There's many people, right, who are still struggling with that aspect of, hold on, the outer reality looks this way and I have to fit into that. I have to find my place in that. And part of this hero's journey is realizing that you have your own place, (laughs) you know, and it's just coming home to it. And um, so, yeah, thank you for sharing how you Support people find that in themselves through the catalysts and the journey that you've been on.
1: Thank you very much, Liz. It's been